now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. That song. Yeah. It's the name of Jesus that is above all names. And today we are talking about coming back from depression, from anxiety, things that get us in a pit that we might not have ever thought we could find ourselves in. And we speak Jesus over that because he is the only hope for us, no matter what we're in. But I don't wanna oversimplify it either and say that we just have to say the name of Jesus and everything's gone. I know that there's a lot more layers to it than that. And as I was thinking about this message and I was actually thinking about grandkids that I'm blessed with having seven of, I've got a two-year-old. I was out of his house yesterday, and he brought me this puzzle. And this puzzle is very simple. There's a head, okay? There's one piece for both of the arms, and then there's two pieces for the legs and the feet. For me, five pieces is not that big of a deal. But for a two-year-old, Elias and I worked at it a little bit. I would joke with him and I'd try to put the legs in the wrong spot, the head in the wrong spot, and he'd go, no, Pops, it goes here, and he would move it around and all of that. So for a two-year-old, this puzzle is somewhat complex. But for me, it's extremely simple. But I was over at Mike Truesdale's house, and Mike Truesdale is a puzzle fanatic. And I said, Mike, I need a puzzle. And uh, he gave me this 550-piece puzzle set, okay? He does 1,000 pieces, and we had somebody in the first service told me they do 5,000 pieces. And I'm like, why would you torture yourself with 5,000 puzzle pieces? Why would you torture yourself with 500 puzzle pieces or 550? But I look at this, and I go, that can be complex. I mean, if you take this box top off and you look, and if I don't spill these, that would be awful. Um, there's these little, look at these little things. And they're almost all the same shape <laughs> and the same size. And you start trying to put that together, and if you're like me, there's only one way you could ever do it, right? You gotta have the box top. You got to have the box top. And we look at the box top and we go, that is such a pretty picture of the Biltmore Mansion at Christmas time. Such a beautiful picture. But when we're putting the puzzle together, it does not look like that. I mean, there's holes in it, and there's all these kind of gaps and everything, and you're trying to find the right one, and you're like me, the easy part's the outside. You start there, and that's about where I finish. Um, but you start to look at this, and you go, I want my puzzle to look like this, but right now, it's all messed up. And I was thinking about life, and I was thinking that for us, and we look at our two-year-old, and we look at our teenager maybe sometimes to some degree, and we look at their problems and we go, it's really not that big of a deal. And you say, this too shall pass. Just give it some time. These things will go away. This breakup that you got, you'll be thankful for it in a couple of years, right? And you look at their problems and you go, they're so simple. They're simple when you see it. But then we see our lives <laughs> and we see how complex our life is. And when we're young, simple problems seem complex. But as we grow older, the complexity of life can often drive us to a place of depression. And there are people whose lives are so complex and the problems are so many 
that they have slipped into a place of deep depression or even temporary depression. You have those days that you just wake up and you go, today I kind of feel depressed. I just don't feel like getting out of bed or I just don't feel like being around people. I just don't feel like moving forward today. And we have those those tendencies and they may be extended for some. And for some, it's been a, a long um, a, a long battle that you that you face, and you know I've told many people close to me. I'm like, I don't like preaching messages about this because it's almost like you just never quite get it right. You never quite get it right. So I'm just gonna we're gonna open up the Bible. We're gonna look at a guy by the name of Elijah who was a prophet in the Old Testament. Okay, several hundred years before Christ, but but we're gonna look at his life and even a prophet of God who had a lot of things going for him actually slipped into depression. I mean, if you look at the life of Elijah, he was, he was an accomplished man. I mean, he was the one who, um, he had gone to King Ahab and he told him that there was going to be a great depression, I mean, I'm sorry, a, a great a drought in the land. There's gonna be a great drought, and he was right about it. I mean, is this the same guy that he fled or he went to um, the wilderness and he was fed by ravens or he was fed by crows, by this brook? The Lord took care of him out there, and he was just miraculously fed, and he miraculously had this water. Uh, He was also the guy that, if you remember the story, he went and raised a widow's son from the dead. That's pretty miraculous in and of itself, right? But if that wasn't enough, he also was the guy who went on to the top of Mount Carmel, or Carmel, whichever way you want to pronounce it, and had all of these prophets of Baal, 450 of them, they were kind of, they were battling out saying, who is the one true God? Was it Baal or was it God, Yahweh God? And so they have this back and forth. And finally, Elijah says, I'll tell you what, why don't you, let's see who can call down fire from heaven. And the prophets of Baal, they start praying and they start calling to, to Baal and trying to get rain to fall down. And they start cutting themselves and they start doing all of these kind of things. And finally, Elijah's over there just kind of looking at himself and going, I'll tell you what, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to talk louder. And he said, maybe he's just busy doing something else. Oh, maybe he's relieving himself. He literally said, maybe, maybe your God's in the bathroom and you just need to do some more to get his attention. Finally, when they were all done, Elijah said, I'll tell you what, pour some water on it. Pour some water on the altar and they just kept pouring water and water until it was overflowing and then he prayed to God and God called down and consumed all of the altar and the water around it. And had all of these prophets, 450 of them, killed, slaughtered. And after that, there's this drought on the land and he call, he starts praying for rain. And eventually God sends the rain clouds from the Mediterranean and they start moving over and the rain comes and his prophecy was correct. God delivered them from that. But eventually, after this deal with the prophets of Baal, this woman by the name of Jezebel, mm, evil woman Jezebel, you know, you just don't call somebody a Jezebel, right? Unless you named your child that, and then we'll have a conversation later about that. But anyway, she starts threatening his life, and he starts to flee from Jezebel. And so that's where we're gonna kind of pick up the story, but there's a few things about Elijah's comeback from depression that I want us to look at. And the first thing is this, that the number one thing that we're gonna see is that Elijah ran from his problems. He ran from his problems. And that's where we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter number 19. If you want to go read this story, it's a fascinating story. You can start reading about Elijah, and I think it's 1 Kings 17, and he's through the first two chapters of 2 Kings. There's two guys, there's Elijah and Elisha, two prophets that were back to back. And I always try to remember which one goes first. You know how I remember? 
It's a very theological way. J comes before S. Okay, so there you have that. That was enough. You can go home now. That was it. That's all you need to know. But no, Elijah ran from his problems. Look, look in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So word gets out about what Elijah had done, and then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, and here's what he said. The messenger said, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm coming after you, Elijah. I'm gonna take your life the same way you took the life of all the prophets of Baal. Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. So Elijah did what a lot of us do when we have this moment of, of, of fear. We, we run from our problems. We tend to flee, and that's exactly what he did. He heard about just, He had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, but he's scared of one woman. Can anybody else relate to that? Y'all are a little more lively or braver than the first service was, okay? So get ready. So, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's fleeing, and he came and he sat down under the broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying this, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So here he is, he's afraid, he's running from his problems, and he's beginning his descent into depression. And here's what that often looks like. We experience some type of a loss, okay? When we, are, when we go through depression, when we slip into it, whether it be short-lived or maybe long-term, we have some sort of a loss normally associated with it. Maybe it's some kind of a basic need that we have. Maybe it's love. Maybe you had someone that, that you loved and cared about. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a, a spouse or somebody that you were very serious about, and, and they turned on you or they, they ran away from you. They left you, and you've experienced the loss of love. Maybe you came from a broken family and you never felt like you were ever loved adequately enough by your parents or anyone else. And so you've experienced this, this loss of love. Maybe there was some loss of significance. Maybe you had this job that you put a lot of, of, of effort and energy into and you lost that job and, and now you don't feel significant to your family because you're not bringing in any money or maybe you're not bringing in what you were and, and you just had this, this loss of like, I just don't feel significant. I don't feel valuable. I don't feel valued anymore by the people around me. Or maybe it's the sense of security. You've lost something that was your security. You're late in your years and all of a sudden the stock market's doing bad and you've lost a lot of your 401k and a lot of money and so your sense of security around that, you're feeling a little bit um, this feeling of loss. And so gradually we start this, this descent into depression. And it begins sometimes, many times, with some sort of a loss. Some of you can relate to that. The next thing that happens is we slip into negative thinking. Negative thinking. And man, this is, this is one that I have to battle against often. This, this idea of negative thinking. It's just this idea of self-pity. It's, oh me, look at how bad my life is. I hope somebody notices that, that, that something's not going right in my life. And man, we just have this self-pity that we pile on. And it's usually just negative thinking. It's just negative thinking, self-condemnation. I'll never be good enough. Um, I'll never be able to accomplish that. I'm not good enough for him. I'm not good enough for her. I'm not good enough for that job. And we just have this self-condemnation. And we speak it outwardly or we speak it inwardly. And we just battle with it. It's just part of that slipping into 
depression. It's the fear, the fear of life, the fear of the unknown, the fear that something that has happened bad in the past is gonna happen bad in the future. And we live in, in this constant fear moving forward, moving forward. It's negative thinking over and over and over, and we have this feeling of hopelessness, this, this negative talk that we have. And you carry those conversations on in your head just like I do, right? We have them. We have them in the, you know, sometimes first thing in the morning or late at night when we're laying our head on our pillow or something happens and we say something and we go, wow, why did I say that? And we start this negative, negative conversation with ourselves. And then after that is this repressed anger. We start, to, we start to get angry about life and everything that's thrown our way and all the negativity. And we start to, to bury this resentment down in our circumstances. And it's this repressed anger that we feel. Can I be honest? I had a little bit of that this morning. I woke up at 5.15, my normal Sunday routine. Get ready, I go in there to make me some coffee. I open up the little canister where our coffee is usually kept, and guess what? It was empty. It was empty. I was angry. I was like, we should have gotten coffee yesterday. And I was so mad put the lid back on. I went in my office. I'm sitting there and I'm doing my thing, just praying, Lord, get me through the morning without coffee. I'm just going to use the Holy Spirit now. And so we're journeying and all of a sudden I hear Tracy open the door to the bedroom. And she comes like the zombie she usually is early on Sunday morning. She's walking down the hallway and she walks directly to the green light and the green light's not on. And guess what she does? She comes to my office and looks in and she says, are we out of coffee? And I said, yes, and it's all your fault. No, I didn't say that. But I had a little bit of that this morning. I was like, I gotta get through the morning. So I get here early today, and Carrie made me a great cup of coffee out there. But we have this, we, 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 that's making light of the subject, I understand, but sometimes you have to. Um, but but I re, you, we repress anger. When we have these feelings of loss, when we have this negative thinking, we start to shove it down deep, and occasionally it'll pop up in the, the most, in the worst spots, right? And it just, it just shows up. Where'd that come from? Well, it's because you're going through a depression and this anger kind of just this gets up and, and we feel like all of our, our lives are just lived in vain and all of this. So we get this place and then finally, there we are, we're in depression. Whether it be temporary, whether it be short-lived or whether it be a long-term, we become so inwardly focused on everything that's going on in our lives and we, we, have this, this, we become so self-consumed and we slip into depression. Because all we do is we fill our lives with thinking about the losses that we've had. And I'm not saying your losses are not significant. They are, they are certainly significant. We've all had them. But if we're not careful, this, this process brings us to a place that is oftentimes difficult to get out of. And what, this is what Elijah was doing. He was slipping into this, this deep, deep depression. And then he isolated himself. He began to isolate. He didn't want to be around people. He didn't want to talk to anyone. And here's what it says in verse five. And he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him. And he said to him, arise and eat. Elijah, it's time to get up. And he looked and behold, there was a, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Here he is in this, this isolation, but the angel of the Lord is coming to minister to him. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. You're going through something, Elijah, and it's too great for you to go through without the strength that you need. You cannot make this journey 
alone. And listen, you and I cannot navigate this life alone. We cannot navigate this life without the strength of the Lord. We are going to battle things. We are going to come, ag- come against things. We're gonna have those things that happen to us that can slip us into negative thinking and into this idea that, that my world is falling apart. We have those moments and we cannot go about it alone without the strength that comes from the Lord and other people around us. You know what? We need people around us. We don't need to isolate ourselves. Listen, we have people all the time that, that watch online for months and months. And listen, it's time to come on into the building because this is a great congregation that wants to love on one another. We cannot slip into isolation. And it says, and he rose and ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights and he journeyed up to Horeb, the Mount of God. So he's continuing this journey alone though. He gets his strength from the Lord, but yet he continues to go and it says, there he came to a cave and at this cave, there's actually um, a cave that they say might have been where Elijah went to. There's this, there's this building that's built as kind of like a, 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 a sanctuary to Elijah. So he came to the cave and he lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you isolating yourself? Why have you slipped into this place of isolation? It is not healthy for you. So the angel of the Lord may have been a theophany of Jesus Christ showing up there. Why are you here alone? What are you doing, Elijah? Here's the thing. When you and I are isolated, we often start listening to voices, right? And sometimes we have isolation, but then there's also a thing called solitude. They are not the same thing. Isolation is when we slip away and we listen to those negative voices in our head. We get into self-pity, we get into a self-absorption, and we start listening to negative voices. There are times, though, that we need solitude. There are times that we spend with God, that we're listening for the voice of God. We're opening up his word, we're in prayer, and we're seeking God for the answers. There are two different things with two different results. And what, what Elijah was doing is he was tending toward isolation, but what God was doing is he was turning this into a moment of solitude. He was trying to speak to him. And when we get in those places, we have to ask ourselves, am I listening to the voice of God or are we listening to the negative voices in our head? Whether that be your own voice, whether it be the voice of the enemy, or sometimes it's negative voices from outside that are speaking negativity into our lives. And we have to identify those voices because here's the thing, they never go away. You're always gonna battle this. It's just how we do the battle that's gonna make it, that's how we're gonna sustain life. So he isolated himself, and the next thing he did is he focused on his problems. This is me. This is many of us, because this is our tendency. We tend to focus on our problems. He said this, I've been very jealous, O Lord. He starts to say all that he's done. The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant They have thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword and I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it. And what he was doing, he was spiritualizing and justifying his depression. That's what he was doing. He was saying, I've done all of these good things and nobody notices. I've done all of these good things and I'm the only one doing battle. I've done all of these great things and so he's spiritualizing what he's doing and he's justifying his depression. And what he was doing, he was lying to himself. 
Because we know for a fact he wasn't the only prophet that was doing God's business. As a matter of fact, the other prophet, Obadiah, had taken a hundred of God's prophets when Jezebel was trying to kill them, and we learned that he had hidden them into caves to protect their lives. Elijah was not alone, but he was trying to make his case for his depression. He was trying to make his case for where he had gotten himself to by listening to the wrong voices and speaking lies over his own life. And so he's saying, he says, I am the only one left and they seek my life and they are going to take it. And what I realize in my life, and I hope this is a lesson for you, that the more we focus on our problems, the more exaggerated they become. The more we focus on our problems, the more exaggerated they tend to become. I am gonna do this in the second service. I said I wasn't. Say the word kangaroo with me. Say kangaroo. One, two, three, kangaroo. The more you say that word, the weirder it gets. Now you're doing it, right? There are certain things you say it more and more, the weirder it sounds, right? And what happens with us is we start to exaggerate our problems. We focus on them so much that we get consumed with them. Okay, can I step just a little bit too close to the line for just a minute? Are y'all awake? Did y'all have your coffee this morning? Listen, here's the thing. We get so consumed with our problems that you know what we do? We go to Google. And we start to self-diagnose. And we start to go into all this world and we start hyper-focused on our problems. And we get consumed by our problems. And what happens is our problems become exaggerated. And they're really not that big of a deal in God's hands. Not that big of a deal. Because here's the thing. The problems in our hands appear more complex than they appear in God's hands. This problem right here is complex in Elias' hands. In mine, it's very simple. This problem right here is complex in my hands. In Mike Truesdale's hands, it's not that complex. Your problems in your life are extremely complex in your hands. But in God's hands, they are not. They are not complex. And he wants us to come to him with these things. Come to him first. I'm not saying some of the other things are not helpful and useful and needed, but I'm just saying, where are we gonna start? Where are we gonna start with this? Uh, Elijah, he had, he had ran from his problems and he had gotten to this place where he had isolated himself away from everybody else and he started focusing on his problem. He was hyper-focused on his problems. Hyper-focused to the point that he was exaggerating them all. And the angel of the Lord speaking to him and he's telling lies to God. But eventually, the great thing about Elijah is he eventually listened to God. He listened to the voice of the Lord and he came out of his depression. He came out of that place. Here's what happened in verse 11. And he said, go out. Here was the answer of the word of the Lord came to him. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And as you do that, behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore through the mountains, it says, and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. I mean, come on, if a tornado comes through, you think, okay, what's the Lord trying to tell me? Maybe nothing, maybe nothing. 
Maybe just trying to tell you that storms come. Storms come by. But that wasn't the voice of the Lord. And after that, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. If the, if the ground shakes, you're like, okay, what's the Lord trying to say? Maybe nothing. Maybe, not, maybe just that life sometimes shakes us up. And after that, or after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Wow. So what happens? And after the fire, there was a sound of just a low whisper. The isolation had turned into a moment of solitude because his focus changed from the whirlwind of the craziness of his life, from the tornado to the earthquake to the fire, all of that, he went from paying attention to all of those things to the solitude of listening to the voice of the Lord in a whisper. Turning off all the chaos. The chaos is there. I know there are tornadoes in your life. I know there are earthquakes. I know there are fires. I know there's loss. But sometimes you have to tune those things out and focus on the voice of the Lord and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? And here's what the Lord told Elijah. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and he said this, what are you doing here, Elijah? Second time he's heard that voice, right? First time he didn't pay attention the way he should have. This time he's paying attention. I'm reminded of the story at the Pool of Bethesda. When Jesus walks up to the Pool of Bethesda and there's this man who's been there for what, 25, 30 years? He's been there and what does Jesus say to him? Do you wanna be healed? And I don't think he was just like willy-nilly asking him that. I'm thinking, he's looking at the guy going, You've been here 25 years. And the guy was making the excuse that every time the water stirred, I can't get in the water. Are you serious? I mean, you couldn't like roll up to the edge and when the water stirred, just roll in, be the first one in? No, you, for 25 years, you can't do that? Jesus looks at him and says, do you really wanna be healed? The guy says, absolutely. Yeah, but I've got, I don't have all, this is, complex than I can ever work out. I need to start. When I go through it, and I certainly go through it, I have been through it. Some of you heard that story. What I, I can to some degree what many of you have been through and what you're going through now. But I just sometimes... You're laying by the pool of Bethesda. You've got to get up and go. You've gotta get up and do something about it. You've gotta get out of this place by moving and doing something about it. He said, I want you to go and I'm gonna use you to anoint Haziel, the king of Syria. And then you're gonna go anoint Jehu, the king of Nimshi. You shall also anoint to be king over Israel. And I'm not done with you. You're also going to go anoint the next prophet and that is Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola and shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. So listen, you're gonna go anoint two kings to be kings and you're gonna go anoint the next prophet to be the prophet in your place. I'm not done with you. So stop staying in the cave. 
Get up and go serve somebody else. Get up and go do something with your life. Don't stay here wallowing in your self-pity any longer. Again, not oversimplifying your problems. Please don't leave here say I did that. I'm just saying for me and for many people, we have to do what Elijah did and we have to get up out of it, get out of the house, get out of the isolation and go serve someone. Go find a place to serve somebody who has a need because listen, God has a plan for your life. God's not done with you. His purpose for your life, number one, is salvation. He wants you to be in a relationship with him so you do have the chief cornerstone as a part of your life. You have this firm foundation. You have the one who does bring life and bring life to its fullest. That's what Jesus said. I've come to bring life and bring life to its fullest. I don't think that's life in heaven only. I think it's life here on earth. Christians who mope around and look like we're depressed all the time are not reflecting what Jesus intended for our life. What are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it? We got to get up and get out. Get out of the cave. Get up from the pool of Bethesda. God has a plan for your life. Yes, He wants salvation. Our problem is sin. Our problem is sin. And the center of sin is I, right? It's me being the focus of my life. And that's sin. God's provision is the Savior, Jesus Christ. He came that you might have life and have life to its fullest. Your response, surrender. Elijah's response, surrender. Elijah chose to go, and he did the anointing that God had for him. Then he went and anointed Elisha, and then he's caught up in a whirlwind, taken into heaven, never experiences death, and now Elijah is associated with the coming of the Messiah. That's why in the New Testament, when they look at John the Baptist, when they look at Jesus, Jesus, who do they say that I am? Some say you're Elijah, because Elijah was gonna be the one who would come and point to the Messiah. Today, Passover, they set an empty place. You know who it is? It's set for Elijah. This guy who was depressed got up and went. God used him, and to this day, he's a part of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. So God has a plan for your life. You gotta give into it. And when you focus on God's purpose for your life, it gives us hope and it gives us motivation. If you're struggling with depression, look for a way to serve others. Take your mind off yourself. Put it on other people. Make some visits, make some phone calls, write some thank you cards, make some phone calls, get into, get into other people's lives and invest in them and get your mind off of yourself. We gotta, we, we gotta come up out of this. This is not what God had for us. Because listen here, bottom line today, we have hope in God who sees us, he loves us, and he's always present with us. And with his help and with the support of others like the people in this church, maybe counselors, whatever the case may be, wherever you are, with the support of others, we can find a way through it and we will come out stronger on the other side of it. I've dealt with it. I struggle with some things regularly and I know what happens. I've gotta get my mind where it needs to be in order to get my heart where it needs to be. And I get my focus where my focus needs to be. And again, I never wanna preach a message like this and anybody leave here and think that I have um, belittled your issues because we all have them. But in the hand of God, 
they're not that complex. They're really not that big of a deal. Will you go listen to his voice and stop listening to the voice of the enemy? His name is power and he can bring healing. He is the cornerstone. Build your life on him. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, let me just invite you to start that today. Meet us down here at the altar. We would love to pray with you. We would love to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you're dealing with depression, lay it on the altar. Start right here. Say, God, today I'm getting up. Today I'm taking up my bed and I'm gonna walk. Today I am gonna take the step out of this. And I know it's gonna be an ongoing battle, but today I am taking a step forward. I'm getting out of isolation. I'm turning it into a place of solitude and I'm gonna walk in obedience. Going back through the wilderness and going and serving and doing what you want me to do because I believe you have a purpose and a plan for my life. And I wanna live it to the fullest potential. Let's stand together. Father, you know my heart. But God, you know every one of our hearts. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we battle. And Lord, I think sometimes we feel like it's okay to stay there. I don't see that in your word. So God, if it's not okay to stay there, help us come out of it. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to listen to that still, small voice, the whisper of God that's telling us what our next step is. So God, I pray for healing today over depression, over anxiety, over the things that keep us isolated and useless in your hands. Help us to step into healing, whatever that looks like. In the name of Jesus, we pray.